Good morning. If you would be taking your Bibles and then opening it up to John's Gospel. We're in John chapter 5 this morning as we continue walking through uh, John's Gospel to us. as He unfolds for us uh, why we should believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior, and that by believing we have life in His name. And so we're going to continue that study this morning as we come to John chapter 5. This morning we're going to look at a piece of scripture that answers the question of is Jesus really in charge and if he's in charge how much in charge is Jesus like is he a little god or is he really god is he and that's the question that Jesus is going to answer for us this morning the question that is in front of us is is he actually god and if he's actually god are we really going to obey him And this is, for us personally, we have to ask ourselves, are we actually listening to him like he is God? Like he is actually in charge? Like he's actually in control? Because either he's God or he isn't. Like when we come to this passage of Scripture this morning, what we're going to see is that Jesus basically draws a line in the sand. And from this point on through John's Gospel, you're going to see him and the religious leaders go round and round over this question in particular of whether or not Jesus is actually God. He says he is. They say he isn't. And so we have to decide, are we going to follow him as God or not? And so John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. colonnades. In, these, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man uh, was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Verse 7 says that the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. And when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning your name would be honored. I pray that we would honor the Son. Lord, as we look at this word that you have given to us, we look at the authority and the power that our Savior has. God, help us to submit. Help us to obey. Help us to follow. God, I pray that you would change our hearts so that we would follow. God, I pray that you would mold us into who you would have us to be. God, we need your help in this place. God, we need to hear from you. God, we need you to speak to us. God, we need you to change us so that we can help others. God, we need all these things. We know you're able to do all these things because you're God. You're able to do all these things, God, because you created us. You made us. Help us, Lord, now to submit to you, to obey you and follow you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some, some of your translations may have an explanation in here that uh, there would, they, they believed that there was an angel that would come and stir the waters and that the first one that went in after the stirring of the waters uh, would be healed. And so, you know, it, it sort of reminds us of, you remember hot springs, for example. You know, people used to come here and, and think that these waters had healing powers, whether you know, and I'm sure back in the day, if you were hurting, you came and sent some uh, warm waters. They probably did make you feel better. Well, well, here they they really do believe. They believe that if they are the first ones into the pool, that they would be healed and that they would be made well again. I don't know 
whether or not that's actually the case here, but I do know that that's not the point here. I do know that the point here is that there's a man that's been lying by this pool for 38 years that's been paralyzed. But, and so uh, we'll, we'll talk, we can maybe talk about the pool later if you guys want to get together and discuss that. But the point here in this passage is that this guy has been crippled for 38 years. He's been paralyzed for 38 years, and apparently he had no friends. He had no one to help him. Apparently they, these other people would have friends come and put, him in, put them in the pool uh, after the waters were stirred, but this guy has no friends. He has no one to help him. And so I just want you to, to picture the scene. It said, John tells us that there's all manner of people here. There's blind, there's lame, and there's uh, paralyzed all laying around this pool. Apparently these other people around this pool had friends. They had people who cared about them. And they had people who would carry them down into the pool believing that they would be healed. Jesus walks up in the middle of them and he walks up to one man in particular. This one man in particular has no one with him. He's been laying there on his side watching everybody else be carried into the pool as he continues to lay there by himself. He has no one to help him. He has no one who cares about him. You can imagine how sad this individual is. You can imagine how painful his life is. He is broken and forgotten. Jesus walks up to him out of this crowd and says, Do you want to be healed? This should be the happiest day of his life, right? But this man doesn't understand what Jesus is asking him. He's not asking this man uh, why he's laying at the pool. He's not asking this man, Don't you want to be healed? Why don't you go get in the water? Which is what he thinks he's asking, right? Because he says... Well, you know, yeah, but I don't have anybody to carry me over and put me in the water. Everybody else always beats me to the punch because I don't have any friends. No one cares about me. But Jesus walks up and, and he says, Do you want to be healed? I can't help this morning but to draw the connection to ourselves. Jesus walks up to us and says, Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be helped out of this paralyzing sin that you're in? Do you want to be helped out of this paralyzing situation you're in? Do you want to be helped out of whatever situation you're facing? Do you want your heart finally healed? Or do you want to keep looking to the things of the world, hoping that they will heal you, hoping that they will finally fix you? Are, are you upset because you think maybe no one cares or because no one is, else is going to help you? Are you continuing to look for solutions outside of the Lord to actually heal you? Jesus walks up and he says, Do you want to be healed? You see, Jesus is actually in charge, and he actually is the healer. He can actually heal. And so look at, look at verse 8 here. He's going to teach this man something. In verse 8, Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So a couple of things here. that Jesus doesn't argue with this man about the pool. He doesn't talk to this man about the pool. No, he just fixes the problem. He just uh, fixes this man's problem. He heals this man. He, he says, take up your bed and walk. This shows us that when Jesus heals, he heals completely. Uh, he says, take up your bed and walk, and so that's what happens. This man stands up, picks up his bed, and he walks away. He doesn't limp away. He doesn't drag you know, his, his legs away. No, he walks away because Jesus completely heals. That's what he does. He doesn't heal halfway. He heals all the way. He doesn't give us half of a, a, a fixed heart. He gives us a whole brand new heart. Jesus 
comes and he doesn't just give this man half of a healing, he gives him a whole healing. Then John adds this little disclaimer here at the end of verse uh, 9 when he says, now this day was the Sabbath. And so everything sounds good up until this point. But he lets us in on a little secret. This day that Jesus heals this man is on the Sabbath day. Well, we all know what's going to happen next, right? Look at verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. And so we have the religious police come up, right? They come up and they say, Hey, what are you doing carrying your bed, man? Don't you know religious code 702.35 or whatever? Like, don't you know you're not supposed to be carrying your bed on the Sabbath? Uh, I read in one place where uh, these, these people had come up with 39 different forms of work that were not allowed on the Sabbath day. And so they came up with 39 different categories of different kinds of work that they had decided weren't allowed on the Sabbath. And so they, they had created religious tradition upon religious tradition instead of doing what God had said, which was don't take a, take a break from your labor one day in seven, take a break from your labor on the last day of the week and rest from your labor. Don't, don't go to your job on Saturday, which would is their Sabbath. He said, don't go to work on Saturday. Instead, take that day to worship the Lord. Well, they had taken that to mean don't do anything that we consider as work. And they got to decide what was work, what wasn't work, and they had all these different rules about it. Well, one of the rules they'd come up with is don't carry your bed on the Sabbath. So don't be carrying your mat around on the Sabbath day. Well, so when they hear this and they see this man, they say, hey, what are you doing? He's like, I'm carrying my bed. Why are you carrying your bed? Well, the guy who healed me told me to carry my bed. They're like, who told you to, who, who healed you? And he's like, oh, you know, I didn't catch that guy's name. Think about that for a minute, guys. Jesus heals this man, and this man doesn't even take the time to figure out what Jesus' name is. Like, if somebody heals you, take the time to figure out their name. I mean, I think that would be common courtesy, don't you? Like, you've been waiting for 38 years for somebody to come along and help you? I think I know why this guy doesn't have any friends. Like, he didn't even take time to figure out Jesus' name. He says, I don't know who he was. John tells us that Jesus had, uh, you know, backed off into the crowd. And so they say, you know, uh, who, who is it? And he's like, I, I don't know. I don't know who this is. And, and so uh, they, they try and find out. And so this, uh, so verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. So Jesus comes and finds this guy sometime after. We don't know how long after. And he says, see, you're well. I'd actually healed you. Apparently Jesus had given him time to figure out that this healing had stuck. He had given him time to figure out that this healing had actually worked. And he says, see, I healed you. I took away your illness. I took away your paralysis. You're all better now. But the part that, that strikes me in this passage, guys, is the, the next phrase here. He said, See that you sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, my knee-jerk reaction is to explain that away. But the way that it's phrased here is it's cause and effect. See that you sin no more so that nothing worse will happen to you. Apparently, this man's paralysis had been a result of his sin. And I know... I know that all sin does not cause 
paralysis. I know that all suffering is not a result of sin. In fact, in chapter 9, we'll see a guy who is blind, and they ask Jesus, who sinned that this man is born blind, him or his parents? And he's like, neither. This man's just blind because we live in a sinful, sin-filled world. But apparently this man's sin, I mean, this man's suffering was a result of his sinfulness. Guys, there is suffering in our lives because of our own sin. We don't always like to admit that. We don't always like to say that out loud because we're afraid of, you know, the results of that. Well, maybe, you know, maybe somebody will take that the wrong way and maybe somebody will, you know, beat themselves up over something going on in their life. Maybe God intended for them to realize that what they were doing was wrong. Apparently, God had tried using this suffering to get this man's attention. Jesus says, don't, do, go, don't go on sinning Stop what you were doing before so that something worse doesn't happen to you. What's worse than being paralyzed for 38 years? Think about what Jesus is saying here. He's given this man an ultimatum. He has healed him. He has made him whole. And he says, I've gotten your attention. I've healed you. I've given you a second chance. Don't blow it. Some of us need to hear that this morning little bit scary, isn't it? Because we, we go on and we do things we ought not to do. We face the consequences for those things. We get back on our feet. We start going again. And then we go back to who we were. Jesus says, don't go on sinning. Don't go on and end up worse off than you were before. I need to remember that. Is God trying to get your attention this morning? Is God trying to shake you out of where you were. Is God trying to remind you, don't go on doing what you were doing. I've healed you. I've set you free from that. Don't fall back into it. I, and, and so, I, But I'm not sure that this man heard Jesus. I'm not sure that this man actually had it sink in who it was speaking to him. Otherwise, I'm not so sure that verses 15 uh, and 16 would take place. Remember that the Jewish leaders had come to find out who Jesus is. They'd come to find out who it was healing people and tell them to carry their mat on the Sabbath. And this guy's just looking for somebody to throw under the bus. Verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And so John makes clear why the religious... Uh, police of the day hated Jesus so much. It's because he's healing on the Sabbath. He's doing things they said that he's not supposed to do. This man goes and he rats him out, right? I mean, he goes and he says, hey, listen, it was that guy. It was Jesus. He's the one who healed me. He's the one who told me to carry my mat. And they don't like that because they can't control Jesus. Jesus does whatever he wants, and they do not like that one little bit. And so they go and they confront Jesus because he's healing on the Sabbath. But Jesus... Being Jesus makes it worse. Look at verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Now, y'all stay with me for a minute because it's sort of deep waters here. But, but what Jesus is saying is, is I am God. And he goes about it in a, a sort of roundabout way. He says, my father has been working, and I've been working. Now everyone can agree that God, even if it's the Sabbath day, is still doing something. 
Like we're all still breathing. The Bible tells us that the entire world, the entire universe is held together by the power of His Word. I hope God doesn't take a day off. Right? I hope that He doesn't stop keeping all things together. I hope that He doesn't keep everything in order. I hope that He continues to do that every single day. I hope He doesn't stop doing that. And so the rabbis and Jesus can agree on one thing, and that's that God continues to do what He's supposed to be doing. And so he's saying, my father has been working, and I have been working. My father has been doing what he's supposed to be doing, and I'm doing what I am supposed to be doing. And so that they immediately pick up what Jesus is throwing down. He's saying, my dad's at work, and I'm at work. Now the Jewish people, they would say, our father sometimes, but they would never say, my father. What, the way that Jesus phrases this, he makes it clear that he has a special relationship with God. That he has a relationship that these people don't have. They understand immediately that Jesus is saying, God the Father is God, and me, God the Son, is God. I am God. I'm 100% God. I'm not a piece of God. I am completely God. And so their response is, well, then we just need to kill you. They go from persecuting to saying, we need to kill you because you're claiming to be God. And let's be honest, guys. I mean, this is the response of those who do not like Jesus. They, they, they're okay with God. They're okay, uh, you know, with this saying, we believe in God. They may even be okay with Jesus until we say he's the only way. They do not like this idea that Jesus is truly God and he's truly in control. And so we, so we come to verse 19, and he just clarifies it even more. He said, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. And so he doubles down on this idea that he and the Father are one. He says, I've always watched my dad work. I've learned my trade from my dad. I've watched how he did it, and I've been doing the same thing. He's shown me special things because we have this special relationship in the same way that he has life within himself. I have life within me, and he's given me the ability to choose who to give life to. Jesus is saying, I have the same power that God has. He is telling these people that he has the same power over life that God has power over. Like he is on equal footing. He's not partially God. He's not like a lesser God. He is God. Now, is this too deep for us to understand? Yeah. But we get what he's saying, right? He is God. He is 100% God, and he says, and I'll prove it. You think it's a big deal to heal a paralyzed man? Jesus says, I'm going to raise the dead. I'm going to give life to those who are dead. And that's exactly what he ends up doing. We know in just a few chapters he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead and prove to everyone that he is indeed God and he has the power over life and death. He gives real life. And so then he goes ahead and, and he clarifies even more. Look at verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. You hear what he's saying, guys, right? I mean, he's saying he deserves the same honor that the Father gets. He's saying as God the Son, he deserves the same amount of honor as the God the Father deserves. This is only way he can claim this is if he is truly God. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. 
Jesus is saying the most important thing about who you are is what you believe about the Son. You cannot honor God without honoring Jesus. He makes it as narrow as possible. The only way to the Father is through the Son. He's going to say this over and over and over again. And He says, in fact, He has given me the authority to judge the entire earth. He says, He judges no one. I'm going to judge the earth. I'm the one who you will stand and answer to. He says, the Father judges no one. He's given all power over to the Son. And so he says, I am going to judge the earth. You know, sometimes we think of Jesus as poor little helpless Jesus. Uh, you know, poor little whiny Jesus. No, he is the judge of the earth. He has all power and all authority. There's nothing outside of his power, nothing outside of his authority. He is absolutely God. He is absolutely in control. And so he, he again, he asks for a response. He doesn't ask for a response. He demands a response. Look at verse 24. Truly, truly. That's, listen up. I have something I need you to understand. If you don't hear anything else, this is what you need to hear. He keeps saying this over and over. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. And so Jesus draws a line in the sand and he says, either you believe in me or you don't. If you believe in me, you have life. If you reject him, you have judgment, you have death. There is no third option. It's as, as plain as it can possibly be. There's only one hope for us and it is him. And so he says, I am offering you life. I'm offering you hope. I'm offering you eternal life. In verse 28, he says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus says there's coming a day when everybody will stand in front of him and answer to him. Either... Uh, by by one, and we don't know if this is you know one by one or the whole world at the same time. Either way, we we all will stand in front of him, and he says, and everyone will answer to him. He says, everyone will be called out of the grave. Later, he calls Lazarus out of the grave. You know, some say that it's a good thing he called Lazarus by name because everybody would have come out if he wouldn't. Have. I I don't know, but I do know that there will be a day when he calls everyone out of the grave, and everyone will stand in front of him and give an account. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the terrible truth, guys. Everyone will stand before Jesus and everyone will bow their knee before him. Like we don't get a choice in this. Everyone is going to bow before him. That's not the question. The question is when. 
You see, you, you can bow before him now in humbleness and receive forgiveness and grace and mercy. You can bow before him now and ask for salvation and he will give it freely. Or you can bow before him for the first time on that day and receive the punishment of all those who have rejected him. See, he's not coming back as poor little meek and mild Jesus. He's coming back as the judge of the earth. He's coming back as the, the ruler of the universe. And he will call everyone. And you won't have a choice on that day. You have a choice today. Will you bow before him today? Will you receive his mercy today? Will you receive his forgiveness today? There's still time for you to receive his forgiveness. He, he's made it clear. Like he, he doesn't, Jesus is who Jesus is. He's not going to change. He doesn't pretend to be not offensive. He is, in fact, the most offensive figure in history. You don't get killed because everybody likes you. He is uncompromising. He does not change for anyone. But He offers change to everyone. Guys, He doesn't change. He's not going to back up and be like, Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. I, I should have gave you more time to change. No. Or, or I should have changed who I am so that you would feel a little better about yourself. No. He will not change. He cannot change. He is God. And He says, I'm coming again and I'm going to judge the earth. And all those who believed on Me will receive life. And all those who haven't, eternal death. And He calls you this morning. He says, don't you want to be healed? Don't you want to be changed? Don't you want a new heart? Don't you want to stop being stuck and paralyzed in the same old life of loneliness and sadness? Don't you want to finally be set free so that you can live for the Lord and serve Him? Don't you want to finally be made new? Don't you want to be healed? He calls you this morning to be saved, God. If you have believed on Him and you have trusted on Him, don't go back to who you were. Don't go back down the old path that you were on. No, follow Him into the new life He is offering you. And give that life to the people you come in contact with through sharing His gospel, through sharing His good news. And if you haven't, if you've not believed on Him this morning, He calls you even now. He says, believe on me and be saved. Because, you see, Jesus, he, he went from this moment at this pool, He went from this moment at this temple all the way to the cross. And when He got to the cross, and He died on the cross, He paid for our sins. He said, I'm going to the cross, and I'm going to die for them. And that's exactly what He did. He died for our sins. He said, it is finished. It is paid in full. And all those who believe on Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so I want to ask you, have you trusted on Him? Have you believed on Him this morning? If you haven't, would you even now? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I thank you that you give us the offering of, of healing this morning. You give us the offering of, of salvation and grace and mercy. God, I pray that uh, that's what we would find. God, I pray that we would come to you, that we would put our faith in you, God, that we put our faith in Jesus and that we would honor the Son. God, I pray that we would see in you the hope that we can have. God, that we would see in you the only hope that we can have. God, I, I pray that if there's any who haven't bowed the knee, any who haven't trusted on you, God, that they would come to trust on you this morning. God, we need your mercy and your grace in this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with us, we're going to